Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the latest Shiny Podcast. Uh, this is your co-host, Stephen Spector, and with me, of course, is Rob Hirschfeld. Hello, Rob. Hello, Stephen. Well, it's an interesting time, Rob. Uh, we are uh, cranking through some podcasts as we get started this year. We were a little slower, but again, we, uh, you know, I keep bringing in new people, but I'm bringing back one of uh, our longtime uh, guests who's tremendous insight in the industry, and he's at a new company. And so I thought, well, let's let's find out more about it, and then we can also talk hardware because no one knows more hardware than I know than Paul Tech. And you are now the prince, the principal analyst at Lifter Insights. Did I say that right, Paul? Absolutely. Yep. And so, as you quickly introduce yourself without the seven-minute intro, um, tell us what where Lifter Insights came from because it's an interesting name. Got it. So. Um... Lifter Insights came out of a cloud broker, multi-cloud broker. So the the kind of the timeline is about um, almost two years ago now, I was approached by um, a headhunter who said, hey, the cloud broker here in Austin is uh, gathering some public data on public clouds. And, and as a headhunter, he had no idea what that meant. Um, but he said, you got to have lunch with these folks and, and just you know, sit down, listen to their story, figure out what's going on. So I did, and about six weeks later, I was working with them. Um, so uh, the the company was Doublehorn, and and since then, um, what's happened is you know, Doublehorn was helping cloud customers in the mid market migrate their first few apps, and we were gathering public data to kind of help those companies make a decision on which cloud would be better for their app. Um, that kind of morphed into uh, a survey of what was available in IaaS for each of these clouds. And that morphed into Lifter Insights being, being kind of a um, deployment side measure, measuring instrument. So we, if you look at it like shelf space in a grocery store, we, we look at IaaS like those grocery store shelves uh, where we measure share of shelf for uh, instance types and sizes along many metrics, uh, what the clouds say they, the application, the, what the clouds say that those instance types are good for, which applications, also what the instance types are made from, whether they're based on AMD or Intel processors, what kind of accelerators they have, et cetera. So Lifter Insights has separated as a company now from the brokerage. Uh, we're a separate entity and we're essentially market intelligence as a service so we don't do surveys uh we don't um we don't actually like have a lot of feet on the street we use devops to go measure internet attached infrastructure of which clouds are our first example and um fairly large objects attached to the internet but um but it's it's a it's a starting point jump off point um and what we found was interesting um i come from the supply chain and so initially we targeted the supply chain for our customer base, um, but then hedge funds stepped in, investors, institutional investors, um, who wanted basically some telemetry on whether this now invisible supply chain for the cloud was telling them the truth. You know, is AMD succeeding in cloud? You know, how are they, how are they doing compared to Intel? Um, are there any challengers to NVIDIA emerging? You know, what areas of the world are being built out and how are the clouds competing with each other? 
And so we've got um, actually a disproportionate amount of attention now from the investor community. And, and that's been a lot of fun to see. Uh, and, and I'll stop there because there's just a lot of directions to go in terms of measuring internet attached infrastructure. <laughs> and and it, it took me a little while listening to you to understand, you know, what Lifter's doing, but more importantly, the the insights that you're you're capturing from it, because we have this sort of baked in. Um, it's not even baked in. It's the marketing spin of cloud is this perfectly elastic. You know, you're, <laughs> if you're, it's 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 you know, it's perfectly elastic. It's always the latest, you know, the latest computer, and and you're just using somebody else's computer, and you never have to worry about it. And that's an illusion. <laughs> Uh, and, and you're you're piercing the veil um, from that perspective, right? So, I mean, you, how deep do you go into how these cloud fleets are built? So we using that shelf space share of shelf metaphor. Okay, so we're our our base capability is a developer. So we're DevOps. We go in through the developer interfaces in all of the regions today by the top four clouds. So AWS, Amazon, Google, and Alibaba Cloud. And we see all of the menu items, everything that is that you can order, all the configurations and all the prices in all the places with all the service level agreements, the SLAs. So you know, we package kind of our, our reporting is based on production SLAs, but we also see stuff in beta and pre, you know, beta preview, pre-release, whatever the clouds call it, right? Whatever's on the menu to order uh, every month, uh, we, we take a look at that, right? And <laughs> I, like, I like the menu. You're like tasting all the entrees for, for people. Exactly. Right? And so it, we, we do data science. I mean, really, we, we have a data scientist on staff. Um, and we standardize the way the clouds talk about their capabilities, their, their configurations. And then we do some normalization so that we can actually compare, you know, some call them virtual cores, right? Um, virtual machines, blah, 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 right? How many cores, how, how many execution threads, let's call that a core, is in an instance type and size? How much memory is associated with that? We can do things like calculate uh, memory per core as a profile for a class of instance types, right? Um, we can see the model numbers for a huge number of these processors, AMD and Intel, and now AWS Graviton. Uh, we can see all the accelerators, and they're very proud of the accelerators. So we see all of the detail, how many accelerator chips. Um, and for some of the GPUs, that's actually fractional because they're virtualized GPUs. So you get like four virtual CPU cores plus a quarter of a virtualized CPU, right? Um, for some of these, especially older instance types, um, or you get four complete chips. Um, and we see all the model numbers of those. Uh, everything, believe it or not, uh, we're seeing new, uh, and this is going to sound really strange to say, but uh, Intel has well, you know, V3 generation processors, processor cores running with NVIDIA Kepler K80 GPUs in, in new introductions, new instance types popping up in new regions. Um, it's the craziest thing, right? Um, 
And, and so there's a whole set of dynamics where we're exposing now where we're pretty sure some of these are not new hardware build out, but instead the clouds are repurposing equipment that they bought years ago, amortized internally for their own internal R&D or production use. And then because they don't like to throw out functioning equipment, nobody does, um, they then <laughs> migrate those things into the public cloud. Uh, we're also sure that some of it may be actually be, be new. These are not, uh, especially the Intel processors are still on Intel's public pricing sheets. And so there may be kind of a, you know, buying N minus two, N minus three processors, especially if you can't get a hold of the latest, shiniest processor, right? Um, and so we, we see it a very granular. Well, so that's, and, there's, there's, and there's a cost yeah. curve oh. uh, perspective from that, that, right? I mean, cause they're, you know, they, they're trying to get gear in use at the, at a certain cost point. And so they're going to, you know, people, people assume that they're just getting amazing, amazing gear. It's your, your research is showing that in some cases it is, but in a lot of cases, it sounds like it's, you know, just standard data center well, stuff. In, in terms no. of infrastructure as a service, IaaS, you're always in control of what you're buying. Uh, for the most part, uh, the clouds will tell you here's specifically what you're buying or, you know, we're not going to tell you, but the price is low. You know, it runs in your region and it comes with this level of guarantee. And, you know, and be, did we tell you the price is low? So, so if you're looking for a real mm -hmm. deal, we may not tell you what's, un, what's under the hood, but um, but yeah, you're probably not too concerned about it anyway. Um, so if you are concerned about performance and capability and doing like the latest machine learning, then you're going to move up the stack. If you're running business logic that's not particularly performance sensitive, you're going to go down stack. And they they offer a very wide dynamic range of pricing and capability to to suit pretty much anybody's needs. I'll say we are, so we, we see every menu item. So we can tell when things roll off the menu. We do occasionally see items deleted from the menu. Uh, we also see new sizes mm -hmm. and new types introduced every month. We do this at the end of every month. Okay. So we have a really fast cadence because we're DevOps. You can. Um, and we were really complete, which lets us see individual SKUs, small pricing changes, things like that. That makes a lot of sense. And so, you know, from that perspective, are you seeing a transition in, or I mean, there's a ton of, of, in, of deployed stuff, um, but do you, do you see like, you know, AMD breaking in from a, a buy decision perspective or ARM is starting to have a, a meaningful percentage? And, and for people who don't aren't aware, Graviton is the arm. Uh, it's based on the company that a, that AWS bought, um, but that's their their arm based. Right. So the, the old Annapurna Labs. Um, so what we, in a nutshell, you know, over the winter, we've been a little disappointed at AMD's performance. Uh, we're starting to see some uptick in uh, Rome generation. Performance from a per percent, percent yeah. of share? No, not, not, from, not, not from performance, performance as in a, how fast they run. The I'll, I'll get to performance doing. in a minute. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, scared. Uh, no, it, it was, was <laughs> not what I intended. Um, so in terms of their market share, uh, AMD has not, 
come across in the public IaaS world, top four clouds as aggressively as we thought they might. And that's starting to change a little bit with um, Epic Rome V6 generation rollout right now. Um, and hopefully over the next couple of months, we'll see an uptick there. But actually, it's been a little lackluster there. Um, we are seeing, of course, AWS designed and has contract manufactured its uh, Graviton chip, now Graviton 2. They're on second generation of their ARM-based processor. And that's for, you know, they started doing that internally. And um, publicly, they've stated, yeah, that's a, a reinvent. They said, yeah, that was really to help power Alexa. So we built our own processor. We built our own inferencing chip called Inferentia. We can see that now. They're offering that as an instance type as well. Uh, and so what they what they did was an internal software stack deployment on, on the ARM processor. Then they kind of backed up. And you can see over the last six months, all the press releases and blogs where they've gone and ported their databases to ARM. And, and so they're offering a lot of PaaS services on ARM. Uh, it's likely because we know that they're running the Firecracker micro VM, micro, uh, basically a hypervisor um, on mm -hmm. ARM, uh, on, on their Graviton. And, we, and that's pretty much to power functions as a service efficiently. Um, it's can, can you tell if, if which hypervisor they're using from that perspective? So like not just the processor base, but you know, which, what the hypervisor is? We cannot, uses. and there's a couple of reasons for that. So what we can see okay. is the guest OS. So we know if an instance type of, you know, what the, and there's differences in pricing, whether it's got Ubuntu, the in-house in Ubuntu um, is the baseline. So that's actually, that's our, our on-demand pricing baseline, pay as you go for all of the clouds. Um, then we see, Red Hat, where it's available, SUSE, where it's available, Windows, where it's available. That's about it. Um, as guest OSs. Now, what's happened is that the major clouds and Amazon's been at the forefront of this have offloaded their hypervisor stack onto the smart NIC. So for those of you who don't know, network interface card NIC. Okay. Smart NIC has acceleration on it. And that acceleration now includes processor cores, FPGA capability to do you know, deep learning deployment, inferencing deployment, look for patterns in packets and things like that. But what they've done is they've offloaded the entire hypervisor stack onto the smart dick. And what that lets Amazon do, and by the way, Alibaba's got their own. Um, Azure has, has what they call the catapult series, I think Catapult 2 or 3 now, um, FPGA-based. And then um, we don't really know what Google's doing. They're not very open about that. But I, I'd, I'd really be shocked if they weren't also using their own network offload card, right? And that enables a consistent level of hypervisor service and provisioning and management across any server box that they want to attach this SmartNIC to. Right. So all of a sudden they've taken, you know, what used to be a lot of the value of the OEMs, certainly, you know, if you look at iDRAC and ILO and all the, you know, H Dell and HP, HPE management, silicon and services, 
And they've taken that off onto the networking card so that they can just take a bare bones, bare metal server from a contract manufacturer, an ODM, put this card in it, and it has all of Amazon's or all of Alibaba Cloud's you know, special sauce services available now. Um, and you get 100% of the performance, close to 100% of the performance, you know, from the from the machines because there's no over, you're not giving up the overhead. So, but the smart NICs, but they, they didn't put in the smart NICs to for the hypervisor. I mean, the smart NICs are really about networking homogeneity. So to, um, these that's clouds. part of the reason the um, network homogeneity. This whole software defined networking. Um, how how do you how do you deploy mm-hmm. containers with networking underneath it? Because um, containers really don't know a lot about networking, right? Um, and so. In building out SDN, you needed a smart NIC. You got the smart NIC. You had the processing power now to offload management. Why not offload the hypervisor? It was a you know convenient target of opportunity. Makes sense. Well, one of the things that I remember seeing, because the first people to talk about doing this really openly was Microsoft was talking about, you know, putting more and more uh, processor in the in the NIC, they started with just uh, custom silicon or FPGAs so that they could reprogram the, the switch or the, the NIC cards. Um, and it looked like they were doing it because the, um, uh, I'm blanking on the, the EBEX, the, the actual pro- the network traffic processors were not moving fast enough for them. Um, and so they needed a way to sort of abstract out some of the higher level functions they wanted to inject in the right. net, in the net, in the NICs. So this, this seems like a logical, and then they could start doing some, some layer two, layer three activities at the, at the smart NIC layer. Um, they have to have a pretty beefy processor that would actually run. Well, I guess the hypervisors aren't really that busy most of the time. It's all yep. off. Yeah. It's, um, at this point, um, in, in at least in the top four and possibly farther down the the you know cloud hierarchy of companies um i think what what we're seeing is microsoft's the only one using fpgas um because they're trying to do some more advanced pattern analytics um and they're they're not ready to settle on you know the deep learning hardware acceleration of, you know that they'll need to stick with for three or four years if they if they put that into silicon right the other players haven't got to that point yet they're they're doing a lot of advanced offload but it's all it's the standard stuff it's uh you know remote dma right it's um it's doing a lot of the packet inspections they know what to look for um packet you know layer two layer three routing um some behavioral analysis but again not getting into deep learning so as i've talked with some of the folks they've said yeah we'll attach an fpga at the point where we want to do more advanced deep learning but all the rest of this pretty easy well-known we'll put that in silicon But and but we see Amazon doing the same thing. Amazon had announcements about I think moving some of this into a PCI bus even, so that they're doing super fast, you know, system to system interconnect, uh, and which is you know almost sounds like smart NICs just talking on a faster. And they're being fiber. a little cagey about um, that. Um, so um, 
They, there's a series of designators where they have an N at the end of their type name, um, you know, like C5DN, right? Um, and what that is, okay. what that N signifies is that they have one of their um, nitro offload cards that is actually kind of like four or five nitro offload cards. It's a big honking package, right? Um so they kind of showed us some fuzzy pictures of that at yeah. reInvent. Um, and so it, it actually goes <laughs> yeah. from, uh, the, I think um, Nitra supports 25 gig. Um, and these, these cards are 100 gig cards operating with everything operating at line speed. Okay. Um, so you get a lot more beefier capability with this N series of, of interconnected cards. So, I mean, we'll have to see... We probably won't know exactly what they're doing um, ever, but they have tipped their hand quite a bit. Um, yeah, and nope. we'll probably see, well, it depends. Um, so AWS Outposts, one of the differentiators for Outposts, um, as opposed to Azure Stack, Microsoft Azure Stack, um, is that Microsoft didn't actually put Catapult cards in Azure Stack. They they went with the OEMs, right? They signed up all of the major OEMs: yep. um, Lenovo, HPE, Dell, Huawei, um, Cisco. Um, not sure if there's another, but um, they 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 to, to ultimately deliver. You no, know, so that's that's Azure That's Microsoft Azure Stack. They partnered to deliver that, okay. but. But the right. OEMs put their own networking in. AWS, AWS's mm, outposts okay. is AWS 100% top to bottom. So it's the servers they deploy, exact servers they deploy right. with, the, with their Nitro cards and their top of rack switch at a customer location. Okay. And oh, so, okay. you know, at a hardware level, quite a bit different philosophy. But then again, Amazon will deliver anything. So they'll also deliver and install this where Microsoft was partnered with the OEMs to go deliver and install Azure Stack. So, so, so just so I'm clear, because, right, Outpost, Outpost and AWS is a Amazon thing and they're using the deep hardware, you know, capabilities that they built for Amazon Outposts or Azure Stack, when they built that, they basically made that a completely off-the-shelf hardware model. So the, the specialized gear, specialized additions they make to gear in uh, Azure, don't translate into Azure Stack. Correct. Which is a very different. So it's a very different. Correct. Offer. It's it's okay. based on kind of a standard Intel motherboard that all of the OEMs sold. You know, a a very close derivative of. Right. Um, mm. So they they tried to they tried to standardize at least the motherboard capabilities, but the management stack and the network stack were were all OEM based, and so they they had some difficulties in translation. Um, per, per, personally, I think um, the the OEMs signed up to look like they were playing nicely, um, and and ended up selling customers something else. <laughs> just uh it doesn't seem like Azure Stack has been particularly successful from anecdotally from what I'm hearing in the industry. I well they certainly rolled it very small. Right? It's one of the things that Am that Outpost started much bigger from that perspective and then 
Azure Stack, they, you know, they started in a very small footprint design with very, with very limited capabilities. Outpost is pretty limited too, out of the box. So it's still early um, perspective. However, out, Outposts is, those are the same instances, same instance type and size, right? They're bare, bare metal um, that you get in the cloud. It translates one to one, right? Now they're not the least expensive instance types you can go buy. But um, mm. but the scaling model works very well. Um, so we'll have to see how it, it goes. Uh, I think the Azure Stack, part of the challenge was that they were aiming at, intentionally aiming at kind of this occasionally disconnected model, offshore platforms, you know, uh, luxury yeah. cruise ships, things like that, where, you know, Outposts is just saying, hey, if you need some local capability and you want it managed, we'll just put a rack in the corner of your data center and we'll manage it. And if you need to burst into our cloud, you know, pretty much if you've already programmed to use outposts, you're going to burst directly into AWS, no problem. And so I think it's a bit of a Trojan horse. Um, it's a very convenient way to like start off with, I don't want my data leaving my data center. Um, or you know, a variety of different business models in which you'd want to, you know, call up Amazon, have them deliver an outposts uh, rack, and and then after a while you're going to decide, hey, that went really smoothly. You know, I'm I'm using AWS in my data center. My data is pretty secure. Um, for a lot of applications, I think that'll be fine. They'll call up AWS after a while and say, hey, come take this stack. We we just want to go to the cloud now. Um, so I think it's a pretty good Trojan horse move. Next slide. So they're basically just saying, if you're used to Amazon, then go crazy on outposts, um, from that perspective. Or, or vice versa. If you haven't gone to a cloud yet, we'll, we'll give you a little bit of candy here. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Are there people who yeah. haven't gone to a cloud yet, Paul? Yeah, that, doesn't, I, that doesn't strike me as, you're right, Stephen, that doesn't strike me as their sales model. Uh, no, no. So, so let's let's look at the mid market. Okay, there are people who've dabbled in cloud. Okay, and they've, and they've probably dabbled in AWS. Okay, and so, but they haven't actually like moved their line of business applications yet. They've done a few experiments for stuff that doesn't really matter. Um, and, but as as a you know a mid sized company, um, say fifty to two hundred employees, right? Um, if, if I really want to do this and I'm uncomfortable with cloud, then this is, this is the perfect Trojan horse. I can get cloud managed for me in my data center uh, with, you know, and AWS will deliver and install it. And then I've always got that luxury of if I need more capacity going straight to AWS and who wouldn't want to do that. Right. Um, so <laughs> anyhow, it's a, it's a pretty, I think it's a pretty sticky solution. Um, I think yeah. it'll, I think it'll be incredibly sticky <laughs> because once you're right, well, I mean, because what it does is it encourages people to depend on the Amazon API for all for for a bigger surface of compute, and then if you're running, you know, besides the fact that it's a two-year contract, if you're running outposts in your infrastructure for you to get, you know, lift that out and move to something else, then you're gonna, you know, you're gonna have to replicate a whole new infrastructure stack. Correct. And, and nobody, at this point, nobody's going to get fired 
for developing for AWS. <laughs> you know, that's okay. the kiss of death for, for the downslope of uh, these infrastructures. Yes. Um, and the, the, I mean, this is, it makes perfect sense to me. I guess there's a part of where we started, which is they're constantly adding new stuff. You get an outpost, you've got a two year lock in on, on whatever infrastructure they've sent you. Is that the, the aging of that infrastructure? Any concern? Um, you know, I don't think so. Um, hmm. let, let me put it this way. So we've seen a growth in virtual cores per size, instance type and size offered. Okay. So let's look at where the hardware is growing. Okay. Cores per socket co translates to cores per virtual cores per instance type. So we're starting to see like with AMD based Epic, Epic Rome based instance types, 64 physical cores per socket. Um, they're dual threaded. So that's 128 cores. Um, and then if you put two sockets together, that's 256 cores. We are actually starting to see some 256 core sizes being offered. Okay. Um, then you couple that with, okay, you know, what's your memory profile? Are you at one, two, four, eight gigabytes of memory per core? And we're starting to see very large memory spaces. And so I think memory per virtual core isn't growing as fast as the number of virtual cores, period. So we're seeing some movement up into four and eight gigabytes per core as being the standards. Um, we'll say Microsoft Azure uh, has been, this is part of why I think they appeal to enterprise and especially to doing analytics, SAP, you know, in-memory databases, things like that. So, yeah, Azure really is pushing the envelope on the amount of memory per system way past where the others are, where they're getting bigger memory per core, bigger cores. Um, and we're just not seeing the other three, the other top three cloud vendors following Azure into this long tail of really large memory spaces. So that's one of the dynamics is we're getting more cores. The core frequency really hasn't moved. Okay, I, I think we're going to be able to tell when the clouds start doing exotic cooling because we, we have some charts essentially showing the death of Moore's law in terms of frequency. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you're getting a lot more cores along, you know, 2.5 gigahertz, you know, 2.7 gigahertz, 3 gigahertz. We're starting to see you know, a little bit above that. But when you get to 4 gigahertz, there just aren't big core footprints. Okay, those are small numbers of cores. Um, and so, yeah, you know, we we can see there's a ceiling. Um, Google's very conservative. They don't run much of their data centers above three gigahertz at all. Okay, uh, Alibaba and AWS do a little bit more. Microsoft's kind of in between, right? Um, so we're we're seeing frequency limits on virtual cores being offered. Uh, that just while we're getting more cores, we're not getting faster cores. Okay, um, if folks want to do analytics. What we're seeing is that the the amount of choice, NVIDIA has done a great job of like covering the space, right? Um, so we saw T4s come in in 2019. Uh, we've seen you know, P4s roll off the menu in several areas because T4 has Tensor Core and that's what folks are using, right? So especially for, for you know, doing some kind of lightweight inferencing tasks. Uh, we're seeing V100s uh, being deployed pretty widely. There's still P100s are much cheaper, um, so they're being deployed. Uh, 
And then we see a smattering of like K80s and M40s and M60s still hanging out in the cloud. Um, we see some AMD Fire Pros. Um, looks like Alibaba got them on sale from crypto miners out in Asia, maybe. Um, don't, don't really know what to pace this. The type, of, the type of data that you can pick up like that is crazy. But okay, yeah, because you're looking at the, the, the age of the gear, right? The model numbers when they came out. Yep. This is why the hedge funds are, hedge funds are fascinated by this. Um, do you do you think sort of more broadly that you know we're we are reaching an end for Moore's law that you know we're we're going, we're seeing you know networking speeds CPU speeds sort of tap out that it's going to be scale out or specialized function you know like a GPU TensorFlow system to get more performance I think so um, the big vectors for performance are going to be definitely network. I don't think we're done with network performance at all. Um, going, yeah, we're, we're you know twenty five gigabytes or gigabits per second uh, was a convenient mm -hmm. target on ten gig wiring. Okay, but we're going to see lots of these cloud data centers start moving to hundred gig um, from top of rack to server. I think that that will happen over time as the as the prices come down. We'll see that move out faster. We're going to see a lot of folks, this whole concept of building a cluster and using RDMA to span physical server nodes um, is going to get more advanced and um, message passing interface, essentially commoditizing high performance compute infrastructure. Okay? That, mm, okay. that that will happen because we're not getting faster cores. Um, so for some... Right, but go ahead. But when, when you talk about a cloud, right, an RDMA, then to make that work, you're going to need to get multiple machines in proximity to each other to build that cluster. It's it's not elastic, invisible compute. You're you're you know to make RDMA work, you you need to have, you know, you're like I need six machines with RDMA. That's pretty darn locked into a, a very narrow. <laughs> so for for a lot, of cloud, right? a lot of the clouds actually offer rules when you're ordering these, uh, when you're configuring an application and you're allocating resources to make sure that the instances that you're, that the types and sizes that you're instantiating are in the same zone. Okay. And if you light up the correct features, they'll make sure that there's enough proximity to make that RDMA work well. Uh, but it doesn't cross zones. You're absolutely right. Okay. They're not going to span data centers with RDMA. Uh, so there, there are some limits, but they're offering the programming constructs, the operational constructs to go make sure you've allocated things correctly to make it work. And then they do some smart scheduling on their side, I'm sure to make sure that the physical proximity is a little bit closer. They can do their own optimization, right? Yeah. I mean, at some, you know, and I understand using other people's hardware as a benefit, but at some point you're, you're almost just operating the infrastructure, right? At that point, they're just providing, you know, they're just renting you the server. You're that down that, that narrow. And I guess providing some, you know, complex configuration and network topology, and then you're, you're able to say, okay, I only need this for that one application use case. Everything else can be cheap VMs, I guess. Is that the, yeah, the idea I, they have a, we've, the diversity that you don't, you don't find otherwise? Well, so we've seen some experiments 
recently where folks have actually not told the clouds they're doing this, but they've assembled 60,000, 80,000 core images. Okay. <laughs> I said that correctly, not hundreds, but, and, and not 8,000, but 80,000, 80,000 cores uh, into a high performance mm. computing infrastructure image. And they did that to go run a problem for an hour or two at a cost of several thousand dollars instead of spending $10 million building a cluster. Economics are in the favor of doing this. Okay. Um, right. If I have a problem I need to solve and it's not a problem I need to solve every day, I can now go solve some very interesting problems by con essentially configuring my own supercomputer in the cloud. So there are still folks who I... need to do real-time stuff Right. I mean, data collection off of a large Hadron Collider was a great example. Right. Um, <laughs> but but that's just data collection. They're actually farming out analysis all over the planet. OK. Yeah. Right. To these to these these, you know, ad hoc supercomputers, well, dedicated so supercomputers. But also now you if you want to go get some you know, very large space telescope or large Hadron Collider data, you can, you can assemble your own system in the cloud to go analyze this without actually having to go get a big grant to build a computer. So the, the difference in grant funding to say, I need to go analyze this now, is that you need you know, $10,000 and you can go do this analysis in the cloud. All right, guys. Yeah, sorry. So we did geeked out a little bit. Um, let's reel it back to reel back to one of the questions that was asked earlier. Um, so, in terms of the the number of virtual cores that folks are ordering in images, um, if you have the capability to put thirty two, sixty four, ninety six, hundred twenty eight virtual cores together, for most enterprise line of business software, you've way exceeded the capabilities needed to go do that. Okay, so now you're looking for, you know, what are the classes of software that need that kind of that kind of compute power? And and we do have them. It's just it's moving up the stack for analytics. It's moving up the stack for, you know, getting performance databases. Um and we'll see where it all goes, but Moore's law ties in here in that we're we're at a point in history where we need, I'll just say, a quantum leap in capability if we're going to solve some really new problems. And that's still a way off. So quantum computing isn't real right now. Uh, for the vast majority of everybody on the planet, you can't do anything useful with a quantum computer. Um, and yeah. But what? Uh, no, that's not correct. I had already... I thought AWS released an API. And you can go write a Hello program, computer. Hello World program. Okay, uh, you can follow their cookbook. <laughs> uh, IBM did this, right? So IBM has has a their own you know Quizkit you know, quantum computing interface, and you can go write Hello World. If you want to do any kind of useful programming after that, you really have to be a quantum physicist. Okay, <laughs> I, well, this I'm, is I'm, depressing, Paul. <laughs> you know, I, I I used to do math back in the day, right? Um, and and so I took a look at the quantum Fourier transform 
um, description. And I, I got lost after the first paragraph. I have no idea what that does. And, and I've actually programmed fast Fourier transforms and discrete cosines and all that kind of stuff, right? And I don't know what it's doing. Uh, I don't, I don't have an intuitive feel at all for what that function can do for me. Um, and so that's the problem we have with quantum computers is you need a much higher level of abstraction than we're even looking at for doing neural networks. So we're using TensorFlow now and PyTorch uh, is becoming really popular, right? And so what's the PyTorch for quantum computing? Because nobody really understands that, yeah, you know, maybe a couple of hundred people on the planet who can program a bare naked quantum computer. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, given that we actually had one, well, well, right? no, no, what, what they what they would want to do with such a a what questions they would want to ask to such a computer. All right, all right, Paul. So we've gone into quantum. We will hold. <laughs> we have a whole nother. A whole nother I, I actually uh, know some physicists and people who know physicists with PhDs in physics. We will bring them on. I will have a quantum computing podcast. And uh, I don't think we'll understand awesome. any of it, Rob. At least I won't, but I will go. F that, you're you're going to stub me. I'll see if we can't find someone. So, Paul, I have to, I have to cut it short. Um, you know, we've, we've gone over the time limit, and I try to keep that pretty close. Uh, we can certainly have you on again. But, you know, as usual, it's always great to have you on the line. Um, you know, I know that uh, there won't be much travel with you right now, but people can still reach out to you. Twitter, the best way. How how do you still talking to folks? Twitter's great uh, at Paul R. Teich at, and on Twitter, and um, you can also contact me at Paul Teich T E I C H at LifterInsights.com. Great. Well, thanks thanks again, Paul. Good to uh, chat with you. Thank you, Rob. Thanks, Stephen. Rob. My pleasure. I've learned a lot. <laughs>